I want to welcome all of our guests this morning that are here. And it may catch you by surprise that we are not having our normal service, but we are bringing Jesus on prophecy into the church and our worship service this morning. And it's interesting that when you talk about the Battle of Armageddon, that really brings up some questions in the minds of a lot of people. They ask, is it going to involve earthquakes? Are there going to be fires? Are there going to be volcanic eruptions? Uh, Is the whole world going to be engulfed in war? Are our TV screens going to be filled with images of conflict and strife and famine? Is there going to be unprecedented world financial collapse? Is there going to be the possibility of a world in global conflict? What is this battle of Armageddon all about? And there are still other people that really have a conflict that goes in their mind when you talk about the battle of Armageddon because we look at the Gospels, we look at the everlasting Gospel of Jesus Christ and we see a message of God's love. We see a God of love who has done everything that He can to try and save us from sin and to be able to introduce us into eternity with Him. And at the same time, you have this God who is a just God who is going to pour out His wrath upon sin and sinners. And so how do we harmonize those two things? And people struggle with that. And sometimes people throw out one or the other. And it's only a God of love and everyone's going to be saved. Or you have a God who is going to destroy sin and sinners and they're going to burn in an everlasting hell forever and ever. And so how do you harmonize those two things? And we want to try and figure that out today and put that all together. Because if you only see one or the other, you only have half of the Gospel. Because the Gospel includes the love of Christ, but it also includes the judgment and the justice of God. And so we've got to bring those two together. And we believe that the Bible very specifically in the book of Revelation gives us some answers to those questions. And that's why we've adopted this theme for our Jesus on Prophecy series. And that is, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. And if it's not in the Bible or if it disagrees with the Bible, then it's not for me. I'm throwing it out. And I want to start off this morning by asking you a question. And that is, if God is going to bring judgment upon the world, wouldn't we expect that before He does, that He is going to give us a message, He's going to tell us what He's going to do? And as we look at that question, that would be totally within the character of God. Because as we look back in the Old Testament and we see that before He brought the worldwide flood and destroyed sin and sinners, He gave a warning. 
He had Noah build an ark as a visual thing for people to see. And Noah preached for 120 years that people needed to get ready for what was coming upon the world. Noah was preaching the everlasting gospel in the context of present truth. And the present truth in Noah's day was you need to repent and get on the boat because there's a flood coming and God's going to destroy the world. And so we can expect in these last days that before God comes and destroys sin and sinners, He's also going to have a warning go out to us. And in fact, we've already been looking at that warning in Revelation 14, verse 6 to 13. Let's read that again. It says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And so here we see that God is giving a message to the entire world before the destruction comes. And that is actually what we are doing right now in our Jesus on Prophecy series. We are sharing God's message with everyone who will come and listen. And God desires that we have that message so that we can be prepared. Because that verse goes on to say with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment has come and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. I want you to notice that this is a loud message that is going out to the world today. And it is also a message to worship whom? To worship the Creator, right? Worship the One who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. And so I want to ask you a question. Does the Creator leave us with a symbol or a sign to show us why we should worship Him? And the answer is yes. He has given us a sign. He has given us a symbol. And it is the seventh day Sabbath. This is why we should worship Him. And He is worthy of our worship, our praise, and our honor because He is the Creator. And so here is a call to all of humanity in the light of the judgment hour that is going on now, the Creator is calling us to remember that He is God. That He is the Creator and He gives us this sign, namely the seventh day Sabbath. He says, this will be a sign between me and you that you are my follower, my disciple, you love me if you keep my commandments. Revelation 14 verse 7 talks about true worship. Worshiping the Creator. But then you go a couple verses more to verse 9 and it talks about false worship. Let's look at verse 9. It says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image 
and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Now, I want you to notice here that Revelation 14 is talking about two worships, right? There is true worship, worshiping the Creator in the prescribed way or manner that He has asked us to worship Him. And then there is false worship that is mentioned in verse 9, worshiping the beast. And so at the end of time, what we see is that everybody is worshiping. Whether they realize it or not, we're either worshiping the Creator, the true God in the prescribed manner that He's asked us to, or we're worshiping the beast. And the Bible says if we're worshiping the beast, ultimately we're worshiping the dragon. And so we're either worshiping God or the dragon, even though we may not even realize it because we think we're worshiping God, but if we're not doing it in the way He asked us to, then He says we're really worshiping the beast. Revelation predicts a final conflict over true and false worship. Revelation 14, verse 7 calls us to true worship, worship the Creator, worship in the way that He's asking us to, or verse 9 says, worship the beast and ultimately the dragon. The great conflict in the last days of earth's history, therefore, is not a struggle over there in the Middle East. It's not a struggle over the land of Israel. But rather, the struggle is in the human mind. The struggle is over true worship or false worship. And so the great battle is a battle for the soul. It revolves around the issue of worship. And so, in reality, it is a test of loyalty. Just like it was a test of loyalty for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Now that tree may not have looked any different than any of the other trees in the garden. Just like today, that Sabbath day doesn't look any different than any other day. But it is a battle between Christ and Satan for your loyalty. It is a battle between Christ and Satan for your allegiance, for your worship. And so this is what the final battle is all about. It's about worship. In that case then, it's very similar to the crisis that Daniel and his friends faced back in the days of Daniel in captivity in Babylon. You'll remember that in our series we talked about the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2 where he saw this image with this head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thigh of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. And when Nebuchadnezzar was given the interpretation of the dream by Daniel, he told him, you are that head of gold. And you can imagine that Nebuchadnezzar was pretty excited about that. He liked the fact that he was on top, right? 
He was the king of kings. And his kingdom was ruling. And he wanted his kingdom, his prosperity, to rule the world forever. But Daniel told him, you're not going to. There's going to be another kingdom after you. And then another and another. Four world ruling empires. And Nebuchadnezzar didn't like that so much. So then you go to Daniel chapter 3 and you see that Nebuchadnezzar set up a golden image. He took that vision that he had of that metal man and he made a statue that was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and he set it up in the plains of Dura. But this statue wasn't made out of those four metals that he had in his dream. This one was made out of pure gold. That was Nebuchadnezzar's way of saying, I don't like God's interpretation. I'm going to do it my way. And he is saying here, my kingdom is going to last forever. But what happened is he sets up that image in the plains of Dura and he invites everyone from the Babylonian kingdom to go to the ceremony where they inaugurate this worship of this image and he tells everyone including all of the Israeli captives who have been brought to Babylon they're all there and they set up that image and he says now when we play the music everyone is going to bow down and if you don't bow down you are going to be thrown into the fiery furnace And of course, we know the story, everyone bowed down, even God's people, all of God's people bowed down and worshiped the image of the beast, if you will, except for three boys, three Hebrew boys didn't bow down. And when Nebuchadnezzar found out about it, he went to them and he said, now we're going to give you another chance. I like you boys. I don't want you to have to go into the fiery furnace. If you do what I say, you'll be okay. You just bow down. And I just love what those three boys said. They said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, you don't need to give us another chance. We're not going to bow down to your image. We serve the God of heaven and He is able to save us. But even if He doesn't, we will still not bow down to your image and worship. And friends, the exact same test, the exact same thing is going to happen at the end of time. We have the church today steeped in tradition, steeped in error that is bringing about a one world religion. And when that happens, they are going to enforce the kind of worship that they want to have. And if you don't go along with it, and you don't bow down to the image that they set up, then you are going to be in trouble. And the Bible says you will not be able to buy or sell. And so we see the exact same thing that we see in Daniel chapter 3 happening at the very end of time. You see, friends, it's the same old test that it's always been. Are we going to worship the one true God or a God of our own making, our own choosing? Are we going to worship the beast? 
And so God is calling us to true worship. Revelation 15 verse 1 says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Now here's the understanding that we need to have. God is love. God loves each and every one of us. God loves sinners but he hates sin. And God is love, but God is also a righteous judge. And so he has got to judge sin. But if we repent of our sin and come out, then we won't be judged along with that sin. But if we continue in rebellion against him, then we will be judged along with sin And so sin and sinners are going to have the wrath of God poured out on them. Because think about this. God offers love. But if we reject God, if we reject love, He is the author of life. And if we reject life, the only thing left is death. And so... We have to harmonize those two characteristics of God and see that He is a God of love, but He's also a God of wrath. He's a just judge who has to judge sin and sinners. And so the question is, what is God's wrath? And the answer is that God's wrath is not against sinners it's not anger of God against sinners but it is his judgment against sin God's love is everlasting and when we reject the warning message that has been given and we know that when this worldwide religious corrupt church in the end sets up this image to the beast, then God's people are going to be persecuted. And when that threat of death comes, that's when God is going to pour out His wrath to protect His people. His judgment on sin begins to fall. Wind, rain, storms, the judgments of God are going to fall on this earth. And so the question is, what is the timing of all of this? Because as we've already looked in our series, we have seen the signs and we are certain that Jesus Christ is coming soon. Amen? But before He comes, these events have to happen before He comes. And so what are those events and what is the order of them? Let's look at them. First of all, we see that the first thing that has to happen is the worldwide preaching of the gospel. And by the way, that's what we're doing right now. This message is going out to the entire world, so we are already in the process of finishing these final steps before the coming of Jesus. This worldwide message of the everlasting gospel in the context of present truth is now going out to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. 
This is God giving every human an opportunity to make our final choice for or against the truth. The second thing that happens is all humanity is going to have to make this choice. And that includes God's people. Everyone who is alive is making this choice right now. The third thing that happens is that the mark of the beast is going to be enforced through this final conflict over worship. The fourth thing that happens is that God's people that He has in the end are going to be loyal to Him no matter what the cost. We have seen the truth from God's Word that God is calling His people back to worship Him as the Creator. And that means keeping all of His commandments, including the fourth commandment, which the church today is telling people you don't have to do. It's thrown out. It's no longer applicable. We're now under grace. We're no longer under the law. The law is no longer applicable. But God is calling us back to true worship. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And so God is calling us to be loyal to Him. And He said, my Sabbath is a sign between you and me that you are loyal to me. And so God's people are going to be loyal no matter what it costs. We also see that the seven last plagues are going to be poured out on humanity and on this world. And then Christ is going to come and deliver His people. And so the Gospel is preached to all humanity and all humanity has to make a choice. And what brings about this choice? This image that is going to be set up to the beast. Notice in Revelation 15 verse 8 it says, No one was able to enter the temple till the seven last plagues of the seven angels were completed. You see, friends, Jesus has entered into His final work on our behalf. At His ascension, He went up into heaven and He went into the first compartment of the heavenly sanctuary where for over 1,800 years He ministered and interceded on our behalf. But in 1844, He went into the most holy place, the second compartment, and the judgment began. That means that that judgment has been going on now for 175 years. And they started with Adam and Eve judging the dead. And eventually, they are going to get to the place where they judge the living. And when that is completed, and I believe very, very soon, Jesus Christ is going to stand up. And He is going to say in Revelation 22.11, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. 
What we see here is that when the judgment is over and Christ stands up, He's going to take off His priestly robes. He's going to put on His kingly robes. And He is no longer interceding on our behalf as our high priest. And so there's a period of time from when probation closes until the second coming of Christ. And during that time, Jesus says, whoever is just, let him be just still. Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. In other words, everyone has already made their final decision. So there's only two classes of people. Those who are righteous, those who are unrighteous. Those who are just, those who are unjust. Those who are pure, those who are impure. There is no middle ground and there's no second chance. There's no sitting on the fence waiting and saying, I'll decide later. Now is the time for us to choose. And that's the problem that we have is many times we waver. You see, sometimes we want to have one foot in heaven and we want to have one foot in the world. But God is calling us to make a decision. We cannot delay making our choice any further. But the final crisis is coming upon our world and it's going to lead men and women to make one of two decisions. Completely for Christ or completely against Christ. And when the final decree goes out, God's message that we are sending out to the world now, men and women are having this opportunity to choose whether to worship God according to the way that He has asked us to and have true worship or to follow the teachings and the doctrines of men and ultimately worshiping the beast and the dragon. And so we understand what that means, don't we? It means that now is the time for us to make our decision firm. It is now time for us to say, I'm going to stand with God no matter what the cost. Now, you might ask the question, do God's people go through the tribulation? Because there seems to be a lot of error and a lot of pagan doctrine that has drifted into the church. Remember, we've talked about this already. A little bit of error comes in with truth over thousands of years, and pretty soon it's being taught as truth. And so you really have three versions of the tribulation in these last days. And that's where you get the phrases you've probably heard of, pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. What those are saying is if you're a pre-trib person, you believe that God's church is going to be raptured out of here before the tribulation, or in the middle of the tribulation, or after. And so we have all of these teachings that are going on in the church today, but which one of them is right? They can't all be right. And so what does the Bible tell us? The Bible says that God is going to pour out His wrath in 
what's called the seven last plagues. And nearly every single Bible commentary out there says that this time of the seven last plagues is the tribulation. They all agree on that. And so when the plagues are poured out, that's that tribulation period. Now the question is, do we have any examples in the Bible that we can look to to help us to understand what's going to happen when the seven last plagues are poured out? And of course the answer is yes. You can go back to the Old Testament and you can see when God delivered His people from the Egyptian bondage. He delivered them from slavery. And that's an example to us at the end of time because God wants to deliver us from spiritual slavery. He wants to deliver us from the bondage of sin. And so as we look at what happened in the plagues of Egypt, it can show us what we should expect in the plagues of the last days. And if you go back and read it, you can go to Exodus chapter 7 through 12 and read that for yourself. I'm not going to take the time to do that. But we see that there were ten plagues that were poured out in Egypt. And the first three plagues affected everybody, the Egyptians and Israel. But then the seven last plagues, God made a distinction between His people Israel and Egypt. And the plagues only affected the Egyptians. And now we look in the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, and we see these seven last plagues. And these seven last plagues are going to be just like the seven plagues of Egypt. They only affect those who take the mark of the beast. God is going to make a distinction between His people and those who have decided to follow the teachings and the doctrine of the apostate mother church and the harlot daughter churches and the corruption and the error and the pagan doctrines that have come into the church for thousands of years. And so God makes a distinction. Just as the Israelites were present through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues, so God's people are going to be present but protected through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues. And so we clearly see from the example in the Word of God that the only right answer is that God's people are going through the tribulation. But God is going to protect them while they go through. Just like in the example that I spoke of earlier with Daniel's three friends. God didn't protect them from the fiery furnace. They were thrown in there. And Nebuchadnezzar was so mad, he heated it up ten times hotter than normal, that even the people that were throwing them in were killed. But God was there with them in the furnace of affliction. And He protected them. They came out. There was not a hair on their head singed. Even their clothes did not smell like fire. 
God brought them through, and that's our example. I love the way the Apostle Paul says, all of these things were written for our admonition and for our teaching to understand what it's going to be like in the end. And so we have that example. God is going to protect His people. By faith, they went through the fires and the flames. And I love what they said. They said, we will not bow down. Our God is able to save us, but even if He doesn't, we're not going to worship according to this false doctrine. And friends, that's the kind of faith that we need to have in the end. Even if God doesn't save us. The Bible is very clear. There are going to be many of God's people killed in the last days. And so... We can go through that because we know He can raise us from the dead. And we can have confidence that He is with us even in our time of trouble. Revelation chapter 7, verse 14 gives us another clue about God's church going through the tribulation. Because Jesus Christ comes back to this earth, He resurrects the dead, He transforms the living, He takes them to heaven, they're standing before the throne of God, and then Revelation 7 verse 14 says, these are the ones who came out of the great tribulation. Now why would the Word of God say that? if they were taken out of the world before the tribulation started. It can only be that God's church goes through it because the Bible says these are the ones that came through. These are the ones that came out. God preserved them through the tribulation just like He did for Daniel's three friends, just like He did when He brought them out of Egypt. So let's look at these seven last plagues. I want you to open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 16. Revelation 16 is where we see these seven last plagues. And we'll be going back and forth between our Bibles and showing it here on the screen. But I want you to be there. I want you to be able to see it and read it for yourself. Now, I also want you to realize that these seven last plagues have more meaning to them than just the destruction that they're going to cause. There's a spiritual meaning behind them. Just like there was spiritual meaning behind the plagues in Egypt. If you go back and you look at those plagues, you'll discover that God had a very specific reason why He brought about those plagues and those specific plagues. For example, one of them was plagues of frogs, right? The reason for that is because the Egyptians worshipped frogs. Then God says, okay, you want to worship frogs? I'll give you frogs till they're coming out of your ears. And He gave them this plague of frogs. They had them everywhere. It was a spiritual lesson to teach them those frogs can't save you. Right? And so these plagues at the end of time have spiritual meaning as well. So let's look at the first plague. It is of loathsome sores. Read with me in your Bibles. Revelation 16, verse 2. 
So the first angel went and poured out his bowl upon the earth, and a foul and loathsome sore came upon the men who had the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. I want you to notice here the distinction that God makes between his people and sin and sinners. Because the only people that are affected by the plagues are those who have taken the mark of the beast. Did you catch that? In that verse. So, a foul and loathsome sore. And here's the spiritual lesson behind that. Those who enforce the mark of the beast, they say that unless you take the mark of the beast, you are going to be physically afflicted. We are going to hurt you unless you take the mark of the beast. That's the decree that goes out. And so what they're saying is if you want to be physically protected, you've got to get in line with everybody else. You have got to bow down to this image that we set up. And so the first plague is a physical affliction and they have sores from their head to their toe just like Job. And so they are promoting the necessity for you to make a decision to take the mark of the beast. And what they're saying is that if you do what we say, you'll be okay. But what is this plague telling us? It's telling us that there's no physical security outside of Jesus Christ. There's no physical security outside of worshiping God in the way that He calls us to worship Him. The authorities declare that they are going to physically oppress you if you don't receive the mark of the beast. But here we see those who receive the mark of the beast who are the ones that are physically afflicted. Amen? I want you to listen to the promise of God. Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Here we can see that God never promises to take us out of trouble. He says in this life you will have tribulation. But He promises to be with us and to protect us. And the ones that receive the mark of the beast are the ones that are afflicted. The second plague says that He's going to turn the seas to blood. Notice what it says in Revelation 16, verse 3. Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. Now this is talking about all of the oceans of the world being turned into blood. I want you to imagine for a moment what that's going to be like. Imagine when every animal in the sea dies. That is going to be a major stench. Imagine what that is going to do to international shipping. Imagine what that's going to do to the fishing industry. Imagine what that's going to do to the billion-dollar tourist industry. There is going to be economic collapse. 
The world economy is going to be destroyed. But here's the thing. Those who are enforcing the mark of the beast say, we are the ones that control the world's economy. You can't buy or sell unless you're with us. They say all economic security lies in the beast power. But what does the second plague say? It says that our only economic security is in Christ. Let's look at the third plague. Here's the next message. The rivers are going to be turned to blood. Let's read Revelation 16, verse 4. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now, you might say, this sounds kind of redundant. He's already turned all the seas to blood. Why now the water? Look at what this continues to say. Look with me at verse 5. And I heard the angels of the waters saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Here we see, not talking about salt water, now we're talking about fresh water. We're talking about drinking water, right? Water is the source of life. We have to have water to live. And now God is going to give them blood to drink because they have been persecuting God's people. Those who have the audacity to keep all Ten Commandments of God. Those who have the idea that we should do it God's way rather than man's way. You're not fitting in with what we say you should do, and so they're persecuting God's people. People are dying for their faith. And so God gives them blood to drink. All that this is showing us is that all of our life is in Christ. At the end of time, Christ is our only hope for security. He is our only hope for economic life or sanction or security. Christ is the only one who can preserve our lives. The Bible promise of God's people is in Isaiah 33 verse 16 that our bread will be sure and our water will be sure. When God is pouring out these plagues and people are having no water to drink, God's people will be drinking water. He will be providing for His people. He makes a distinction between those who keep the commandments of God and those who keep the commandments of men. The next plague, the fourth one, is a scorching sun. I want you to notice, look what it says in your Bibles, Revelation 16. Look at verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give Him glory. The plagues reveal that they have trusted in the wrong source. You see, the fourth plague is the sun scorching them. And God does this for a reason. 
because there was a little bit of error mixed in with truth over thousands of years, and now error is being taught as truth. And for centuries, people have had this conflict with Sabbath worship and Sunday worship. And so now God says, you want to worship the sun? Okay, here's the sun. And they are scorched with heat. In the final days, there's going to be this conflict over worshiping the Creator on the true Sabbath that He has asked us to corporately worship Him on or on the day of the sun. Sun day. All of this shows us that all true worship is in Christ. Worship the Creator not the beast. Don't accept this counterfeit system of worship. All true worship is in Christ. And the Bible says in Psalm 91, verse 1 through 3, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my God, and Him I will trust. You see, God has a group of people at the end of time who trust Him with their physical security. God has a group of people at the end of time that trust Him with their economic security. God has a group of people at the end of time who put their life in His hands. A group of people that trust Him, that only worship Him in the way He asked us to because they remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. It is the sign between God's people and Him. The fifth plague is one of darkness. Revelation 16 verse 10 says, Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. We see in the Bible that light is a symbol of truth, of spiritual knowledge and wisdom, But these people have looked to the beast for light, but there's no light in that teaching and in that kingdom. It is a kingdom full of darkness. And when this darkness comes into this beast power's reign, what we're seeing here is that all light is only in Christ. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Here we see that the only thing that we can trust in these last days is the word of God. It is the only thing that is going to light the way and show us the way forward in Christ. We have to put our trust in the Bible We have to put our trust in God rather than in men. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. So if you want physical security in these last days, you can only find it in Christ. If you want economic security, you can only find it in Christ. If you want your life preserved, you can only find it in Christ. If you want true worship, you can only find it in Christ. And if you want the truth and not falsehood, you've got to put your faith and hope and trust in the Word of God. Amen? Literal plagues reveal much deeper spiritual truths. 
Revelation 16 verse 11 says they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores and did not repent of their deeds. Friends, you would think that after five of these plagues have fallen that they would have changed their mind, right? But remember what we read earlier. Probation has already closed before the plagues fall. They've already made their final decision and they're not going to change. And they do not worship God, even amongst those plagues. It is an extremely dangerous thing to turn away from the teaching of the Word of God. If you do, you're going to be led into darkness. One step away from the Lord leads to another and another and another. And the only way you can be secure is to not take that step away. I want you to imagine for a moment that the Ten Commandments of God are like an umbrella. They are protection for you as long as you remain within the confines of His law. But if you step outside of that, come out from underneath His umbrella of protection, then there's no protection for you. And the plagues will fall. And then the sixth plague is this plague called Armageddon. And we want to know what is this plague? Because we looked at the first five plagues and we can see pretty clearly what those are, right? But what is this plague of Armageddon? What is this conflict that is going on there? I'd first like you to notice the word Armageddon. What it means is it comes from two Hebrew root words, Har and Megiddo, which mean mountain of slaughter. That's what Armageddon is. It is a mountain of slaughter. And if you go back to the Old Testament, you will see a time when Elisha and God's people that were with him were trapped inside this bowl, if you will, mountains all around them, and all of their enemies surrounded them, and certain death was imminent. But Elisha prayed, and God delivered them miraculously. There was a slaughter of all of those who were trying to hurt God's people. The battle of Armageddon is not some battle that takes place between men in the Middle East. Although there may be physical conflict that is involved in all of this, the battle of Armageddon is not a battle between the different armies of the earth. It is the final conquest of Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven over the powers of hell and darkness. It is earth's last war, but I want you to notice God's promise to His people. Psalm 91 verse 5 through 8 says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And why not? Because a thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near to you. God has promised us His protection. And when it gets to the point 
where a decree or a command goes out from the beast to kill all of God's people because it's their fault that all of these plagues are fallen, God is going to protect His people. Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth and that's the final plague, the coming of Christ. In Christ, we are secure, we are sheltered, we are safe. We have our refuge in Him. He is our fortress. We can run to Him for protection. Psalm 91 continues, Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. You want proof that God's church goes all the way through the plagues? He's saying, you're going to be standing on the earth when I come. And you're going to see the destruction of the wicked with your own eyes. You're going to see me deliver my people with your own eyes. You're going to see God's reward. Jesus Christ said, I'm coming and I am bringing my reward with me. Some are going to be rewarded with eternal life. Some are going to be rewarded with destruction. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says in this sixth plague. Revelation chapter 16 verse 15 says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. You want to know for certain God's people are going through the plagues? Here is the sixth plague that has already fallen and Jesus says, I'm coming. I'm coming like a thief. I'm coming at a time when they don't expect it. I'm coming at a time when they're unprepared. Even after six plagues, Christ hasn't come to deliver His people yet. God's people are going through the tribulation. What sense would it make for Jesus to say, Behold, I'm coming quickly to deliver My people, to give them their reward if He's already taken them to heaven? During this seventh plague, God's people on earth are going to be protected. And the seventh plague is the coming of Christ. Now to you and me, that might not sound like a plague. But to those who aren't ready, to those who are in rebellion, it is going to be their destruction. The plague is going to fall. The battle of Armageddon takes place. This final conflict and war occurs. Satan is going to pour out his wrath on God's people. He knows his time is short and he's going to try to destroy everyone. The word goes out. If you see one of them, just kill him. And Jesus is coming to get his people. He's coming to take us home. He is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. He comes on the greatest rescue mission ever given. He is our mighty deliverer. The Bible says... In Revelation 16, 17, and 18, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl in the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. God is saying, That's it. It's over. The rebellion is squashed. Sin and sinners are going to be destroyed, and I'm bringing my people home. It is finished. It's done. 
The verse goes on to say, And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. As this decree goes out to go out and kill all of God's faithful people, those who keep the commandments of God, they're going to come out and they're going to try and find everyone and God's going to give them a little distraction. He's going to bring an earthquake on this planet that is going to affect everyone. The Bible says, Revelation 16, 20 and 21, Then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell on men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. That's 66 pounds apiece. Imagine that size of hail, the damage that it's going to do. It's going to break. It's going to kill. It's going to destroy. God has had enough. God is bringing an end to sin and sinners. But here are God's people. And they are protected. They are protected because they have put their trust in Him. The only place for physical security in these last days is in Christ. The only place for economic security in these last days is in Christ. The only place we can be hid in God is in Christ. The only place we can find true worship is in Christ. The only place that we can find the true source of light and life is in Christ. And He is our refuge in the time of storm. The wicked are going to try and annihilate God's people. But there is a great earthquake to protect them. God is coming. Everything's going to be moved out of its place. He comes down through the corridor of the sky. Hailstones falling. 66 pounds apiece. He is coming to get His people. He's coming to take us home. I want to close today with a story about a man in Australia years ago who was a lumberjack. He was out in the woods cutting trees. And at the end of the day, he came home. And as he got closer and closer to his home, he smelt smoke on the horizon. Only to come and find his house and his barn burned to the ground. And as he was standing there, and as he was looking at the charred ruins, between the tears in his eyes and the sorrow in his heart and the feeling of, what am I going to do now? He looks down and he sees the charred remains of one of his chickens. And in disgust of what has happened, he kicks that chicken And he sees the charred remains go flying through the air, but out from underneath that mother chicken came four little chicks. You see, that mother had given her life to save her babies. And friends, we can look at the book of Revelation and we can talk about the beast and the mark of the beast and the false prophet and we can look at Daniel chapter 7 and the beasts and all of that, but remember what the book of Revelation is. It is a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not about the beast. It's not about the mark of the beast. It's about Him. And He died to save us. And He's asking us 
to worship Him according to His plan. And His Sabbath commandment is a sign between Him and us. And that's what He's calling us to do. To make a decision in these last days of earth's history. Are we going to do what He asks us to do? Or are we going to worship a God of our own making? Because think about it, friends. If God says, I want you to worship me corporately on a special day, a day that I blessed, a day that I set aside, a day that I made holy so that you and I could commune together, so that we could rest together, and we say, no, I don't want that day, I want another, who are we really worshiping? That's the question that each one of us needs to answer. And no one here is going to force you. No one is going to say, you need to do this. God gave you free will. And He leaves the choice to us. Psalm 91 verse 4 says, He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. Jesus said, count the costs. There's a cost associated with keeping all of the commandments of God. It will change your life. But there's also a cost associated with not. And we have to make that decision for ourselves. But the Bible tells us He'll protect us. Psalm 91 verse 10 says, No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Friends, you can trust in Jesus Christ. He can protect you. All He's saying is, come to Me. Surrender your heart to Me. Place Me on the throne of your heart. And I'll do the rest. I'll give you the power to keep My commandments. I'll help you through. I'll protect you in the tribulation. Even if you lose your life, I'll raise you from the dead. But He leaves the choice to us. And so I say to you, Choose wisely. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we find physical security in You. We find economic security in You. We find our lives hid in You. We find that You are the only one that can save. And Lord, You are making a distinction in these last days between true and false worship. And false worship has crept into your church. And it's been there for a long time and now it's being taught as truth. But you're calling us back. Back to true worship. And Lord, our prayer is that you will give us the power that we need to make that decision for you. We may lose our families. We may lose our jobs. We may lose a multitude of things, but if we put our trust in You, You promise to take care of us. Lord, help us to do it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.